Welcome to episode 114 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to this episode. This is Todd. Uh, Unfortunately, our guest uh, had uh, something that came up at the last moment and we could not record a new episode, but we did pull one from our vast library of past episodes. And this week you'll hear from episode 16, going back a ways. This is Amy Hill discussing telepractice and her focus with telepractice. So let's welcome Amy from the archives. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. So. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. If you don't mind, would you give us a little more information about your background? Sure. Thank you for inviting me. So I am a speech pathologist, and I have been a speech pathologist for 22 years. I'm going into year 23. So the majority of my experience was um, primarily school-based, preschool through high school, but I also have had a little experience with early intervention, some home-based therapy, and then a little bit of um, experience with adults as well, primarily all in the state of Arizona. Um, And then I, after working in the schools for a number of years, I met a few people and we partnered up and Uh, created a private contracting company to contract services into school districts with therapists. So I did that for a number of years. Um, And then after about 12 years, I merged that um, company with the company that I currently do some work with, Light Street Special Education Solutions. And in that um, role, I currently provide clinical managerial support to um, therapists of a lot of diverse backgrounds. So all special education professionals. Um, And then in addition, I do some training and professional developments. Um, This summer, I did a series of telepractice training for some districts. So a lot of training and professional development. And then in addition, I am a faculty member at the Australia Mountain um, Community College, where I also um, am a program director for the SLPA program. And there I provide clinical instruction to only SLPA students who are becoming SLPAs and venturing into their career and really work with them on getting their clinical interaction and their practicum experience. And then I've also done a little bit of work at the state level. So um, I was past president of the Arizona Speech Language Hearing Association as well, and have been on their board since roughly 2006 or so. Um, So a lot of um, background with that professional association and licensure and certification process in the state. Well, you've had a really full plate, continue a really full plate. 
how did you get involved specifically into telepractice? Yeah, um, great question. So when I um, became part of Light Street um, years ago, we did, um, they did some telepractice and Laura Lazier, who is our executive director of special education and quality services, had helped ASHA with their telepractice video that's currently on their website. So as a company, they had already been doing telepractice in a number of urban and rural areas um, in the U.S. So when I came on board, I had the opportunity to do a little pilot of my own because I wasn't too sure about telepractice and I was curious about it, but I wasn't sure how it worked. Um, So I did a small pilot for a high school. And in that pilot, I was able to provide therapy, um, do meetings. And it was really great because I saw parts of high school students that I hadn't seen, even though I had done high school before. And what I found through doing the telepractice pilot years ago was that the students really engaged in the computer and the technology piece of it. And they were more um, interested in coming to therapy. They participated. I didn't have to, you know, send somebody to hunt them down or call for them. They would come to the room um, where we had therapy and they were really engaged. And we had a lot of really positive outcomes. And then, you know, from there, I also then started doing just some supervision um, things through telepractice with um, clinical fellows, some graduate students, interns, um, and then at the college also, you know, reaching out to some of our clients that would take our practicum students and how could we do um, some kind of virtual Zoom, different kinds of things to help the students um, through that that practicum situation because they're in off-site placements versus a placement with um, the college itself. That's great. Um, I know you mentioned that you had some really good outcomes with those high school students and sometimes even better outcomes with doing it with telepractice. Uh, what were some of the things that you felt like uh, made that better than being in person? Yeah, so I really think that in being in that telepractice kind of virtual mode, that the students didn't have kind of that negative connotation of, I have to go to the speech room, I have to go see the speech person. I feel like they just felt I'm going, um, you know, to, because they would go to this conference room um, where we had another um, individual that worked in that room and did um, some special education paperwork. So she would help get them on, you know, on the computer if they needed help. But really, they were coming to the room, they were logging on. So they had some independence in, you know, not anybody knowing what they were doing, they were just going to, you know, this other place to get some help. So I think they saw it as I was a resource to them not I was their speech therapist. Um, So, you know, in working with their classroom teachers, they were able to bring some of their work where their language impairments were impacting them on the work to the session. So we were able to work through vocabulary, different comprehension pieces. And I think it just gave them that ability to, you know, kind of think of something cool because it's technology and we could pull things up. And if they had a question, we could research it right there. And even though, you know, I would do that same thing if I was in that brick and mortar building, I think it was just that intrigue of being online and being able to research it. And then their ability to have that independence in coming to the session and being a part of it. And I feel like they bought into therapy 
at a higher level than, you know, when we were in the brick and mortar where they were just kind of coming because they were told to come. Yeah, I think for sure. I've tried to frame that with my middle school students too. I don't want to give you something extra to do. I want you to bring things that you already have to do and have me help you with them. Um, And framing it that way, I feel like makes it a lot more motivating for them. Yeah, and definitely other therapists and colleagues that I've worked with who do some telepractice as well, they have really felt like, you know, telepractice is another service delivery mode. Anything we do in a therapy session in brick and mortar, you can do virtually. You have to be a little creative sometimes, and sometimes you make mistakes, but the kids also learn and they can help you learn. I mean, I've had many students who have taught me something about technology, um, you know, doing different things. So it kind of gives that back and forth of, you know, you show me how to do this and I'll show you how to do this. So it kind of makes it less threatening that we're this, you know, big adult in front of them. And, you know, we don't make mistakes because we do. And, you know, in technology, we definitely make mistakes. <laughs> Amy, you, you've talked about supervision and you've talked about um, the work that you've done supervising, whether it's grad students or, or clinical fellows. And now, of course, uh, speech pathology, speech language pathology assistants. Uh, what, what have you gleaned? What's different What's the same or different about supervision, do do you think, um, when you have to do it through telepractice? Yeah, and definitely with COVID, we've all learned a lot of things um, being, you know, 100% in this kind of virtual mode. And, you know, the a lot of the colleagues I have and a lot of the SLP, SLPA teams that I know that I've mentored, um, one of the things that before COVID, we had already, you know, utilized Zoom, a lot of people had done some telesupervision. The thing that is different is, can you count it for certain things in different states? Every state has their own regulations about whether telesupervision counts at all, whether it counts as direct, whether it counts as indirect. So, you know, here in Arizona, we do have a lot of um, areas that are still very short staffed that don't have a lot of therapists. And, you know, for an SLP, is often split between multiple campuses. And then sometimes there are SLPAs on, you know, every campus, but the SLP kind of gets split among multiple sites. And what I've found and seen is that you can really increase the efficiency of the therapist by using some telesupervision because they're not running back and forth between buildings. So they're not losing that productivity of having to get in a car, drive, get out of a car, go in, um, and I feel like it's increased the, the communication between those teams because at any time they can jump on a virtual session and talk about indirect supervisory things. So case cases that are coming up or we just developed this treatment plan and the IEP was held. So now what does that mean and how do you follow that as an SLPA? And it's a lot easier to find those little snips of time within your day when you're not worrying about the travel back and forth. So I really see that they get more supervision when telesupervision is be able, is able to be utilized because of the efficiency piece and just that ability to communicate back and forth. And now with COVID, everybody's kind of had to do that. And now what I see is 
they're more comfortable doing it because before it was like, well, why are we doing this this way? Can you just come over here? But now this is how we've had to do it. So I see more of that collaboration from the SLP, the SLPAs, how do we work together? And then also that collaboration between teachers and the therapists um, that, you know, even though it's not directly related to that supervision of that SLPA or that clinical fellow, you know, we can have that conversation with the school psychologist a lot more quickly than going to hunt them down on their campus. We can just schedule a quick meeting and, you know, have a five minute quick conversation on Google Meets or Zoom or whatever. And I think that it's shown that collaboration between educational professionals can be better. And that if we use these little things that we had to do during COVID, when we all recover and come out of COVID, that I think the telesupervision and just the telesupport and the ability for people to use technology to collaborate should be continued, I I hope. Yeah, I know with um, just with the therapy aspect of it, we've talked a lot about uh, telepractice not being less than and fighting to show people it's not less than. And I think the same goes for the supervision, you know, showing people it's not less than being in person. And a lot of times it provides everybody more. (laughs) And so I hope that the regulations will kind of catch up with that and, um, you know, that people experiencing it now will make them go back to their state organizations and say, Hey, we tried this and it worked better than when we had to, you know, schedule a time of the month that we had to drive two hours there and two hours back just to supervise somebody. So hopefully that will adjust and change. Yeah. And I think it always gives a good, um, you know, cause when you're split between multiple places, maybe I can only get there Monday, but If somebody needs me to see a client that's on Wednesday at nine o'clock, it's very easy for me to jump on virtually to try and do that um, versus having to figure out and schedule a time to go do that. So I think it gives, you know, that ability for a supervisor to have more knowledge of the cases, more knowledge of different situations, because it's not being squeezed into a scheduling aspect. It's more of a, okay, let's, you know, if we can do it virtually, we have more time and availability to put that into a schedule versus trying to set up a time to go to a physical location and do some of that and then go back to a different location and, you know, run around a lot. (laughs) You are involved with, you know, of course, training uh, SLPAs and working uh, within a university framework. What advice can you give myself as a faculty member and other university faculties uh, around the country and those clinical supervisors who are now sort of trying to retrofit uh, telepractice into what they're doing? Uh, any advice on, for, for those folks that are out there? Yeah, and definitely as, you know, a higher education community and a higher, you know, that that whole university college, we've been thrown into COVID as well with everybody trying to figure out how to do online instruction. Is there a live lesson? Is there a recorded lesson? What does that look like? Um, so I think all faculty across the nation have had this surge of how do I learn how to do some of these things that I'm not necessarily comfortable with because I've always done a face-to-face class or I've always done something this way. And how do I think about what that looks like? And, you know, my thoughts definitely, you know, as 
an educator, no matter where you're at, it, we have to learn. And the hardest thing with technology is you can't be very good at it unless you try it and you practice. Um, and, you know, a lot of people I know have practiced together. I've practiced, I've been up nights, weekends in the summer, practicing with lots of people on, okay, how do we do X, Y, or Z on Google Meets? Can we use a boom card there? Or do we want to use these virtual classrooms that are out there that are cool? You know, how do we use these technologies that we see and practice them so that when we have a student or a client in front of us, or we're doing supervision for it with somebody that we, we don't look like we don't totally know what we're doing. So it's really the practice piece and the working with colleagues to kind of go through that. There's so many videos and supports. So, you know, don't reinvent any wheel because there is a video walking you through every platform, every piece, whether you want to use a breakout room or you want to use annotation features or whatever, there is a video out there. So use those resources, just Google and you will find a video. Um, and then also just being willing to learn from students, um, because I think sometimes as a professor, you know, we forget that, you know, we're usually the one instilling that knowledge. And sometimes those students have knowledge about technology that can help us. So being willing to kind of hear from them and um, allow them to teach us some things. And then again, just, you know, as a field, we are always constantly improving. You know, SLPs can never know everything about our field. So this is one of those times where we have to step up and just kind of learn what we need to, to be able to support our students, our families, our colleagues, whoever it is, we just need to kind of embrace that, stay positive. We know we're going to make mistakes and we can all do it. Um, it might be hard, but we can do it. So, um, you know, using those technologies and also just thinking about how to integrate things that you already did. How do I just make that virtual? It's not that hard. How do I take a picture and put it on a PowerPoint? Um, so use little techniques to just kind of make baby steps. So even though it might not be the most beautiful PowerPoint, at least you still have that visual that you always used in therapy. Or if you need to use a document cam, how do I, you know, use my manipulatives so that, you know, my kids can still see these things that I loved in therapy, but use it in a different way. It's it's encouraging that creativity among the grad students uh, or among your students. And I, I, I certainly get that. And it's really exciting when they kind of just go free and just start creating. They, of course, they get excited and they say, uh, you know, have you, have you seen this website? And have you seen this website? I found this, I found that. And, uh, and it's great when they, when it starts to click with them and they see the possibilities and, uh, yeah. And I really think that during this time, there's so many SLPs out there who have been sharing such great resources for free or very minimal cost. And that's where I think that collaboration, again, we've seen kind of our community as a whole kind of come together and share things that before people didn't really share. They had their own and maybe, you know, they have their own group of people, but I see kind of a wider sharing and support of how do we do this and work together. And those grad students and, you know, all the students, they find the coolest things. And, you know, for us to learn and take that, you know, it just makes us a better SLP and a better supervisor, you know, for the long haul anyway. So it's good to see those um, innovative things that we've had to learn the last few months. <laughs> for sure. Um, 
for people that are new to kind of supervising over a telepractice format, uh, could you kind of walk us through what a session typically looks like when you're doing it? Yeah, so sessions can, you know, just like if you're in a building, you can make anything happen. So, you know, I have times where over my years or my time, I have done a full like co-treatment session with that clinical fellow, with that SLPA, where, you know, we're both, you know, working with that group, we're both taking turns, um, you know, doing whatever, you know, that task or that series of things are during the session. And then I've had other times where it's been the extreme opposite, where I'm more of that passive observer, where I'm just observing the session that they're having. But one of the things I think is key is that whenever you're a supervisor is establishing that relationship of how, you know, how does supervision work between the two of us? Because everybody has a different style and a different way of learning. So I've worked with some people that, you know, really like you to interject as they're doing something and model and show them. And I have other people that would prefer, hey, can you talk to me about it right after? And then, you know, I'll make those changes or um, try that for the next time because they get derailed if they kind of get interrupted um, in the middle of a session. So I typically start any supervisory relationship out with how do we learn? So I can adapt as a supervisor to any type of a model, but I need to know how you as a student or how you as a clinical fellow best learn because I want to help share my knowledge base with you. I want to help you grow, but I want to do that in the most effective way possible. So, you know, I typically establish that at first and then we kind of go through. And what I usually find is that they don't mind when we kind of jump in after we've established that relationship, because I feel like it builds a a level of comfort where they know it's a little different than when they were in grad school and being judged for a grade. (laughs) This is a situation where they're in life in real life, trying to improve their practice. So if, you know, once they kind of get past that, Oh, I'm not being graded phase then they ease out a little bit and they're more comfortable with kind of that natural interaction of somebody jumping in and modeling maybe a different technique for an articulation, you know, placement or modeling, you know, a different type of scaffolding strategy. So I feel like it kind of goes the full gamut um, from, you know, 100% kind of co-treatment, let's talk, you know, go through this whole session together And then, you know, kind of in between where maybe someone jumps in here or there as a supervisor, all the way to maybe I'm just observing the session and then providing either written or verbal feedback following the session. And I think, um, you know, what I have seen is uh, with students that are that are new to telepractice or, you know, sort of getting their feet wet. And like you are saying, you know, sort of establishing what that relationship's going to look like in terms of you being the supervisor and 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 working with the grad student, so they know what that interaction is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And even something as simple as using the the private chat mm-hmm. feature on you know, most platforms, just to send them a message. You know, not you know, I often send them, oh, that's great, keep doing that, or you know, it's not always negative stuff. You know, it's you know, it's positive things, you know, just say you're on the right track, keep going. And, uh, and I think that goes a long way, just something as simple as the private chat that they only they can see and, and they're off to the races. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that um, 
Todd way back when, when we started doing telepractice and you would sit in the room with me, but you were in the back and would, it was like, almost like, I don't know, it was less invasive than you being in the room physically with the parents too. Cause you would like, you know, kind of whisper things that only I could hear as advice. And then I would go and do that. And then I was like, Oh, I still look good in front of the parents, but I have this little, like my little Jiminy cricket conscience <laughs> telling right. me, giving me advice. So in some ways it can even work better because it can be less invasive into a session and things like that. Um, what are some things that you've adjusted when you're doing it the person is virtual too. So you're in like a Zoom group and you're in there with the Zoom group. Do you do anything different when you're supervising that way? So one of the things definitely, um, you know, I always tell people to think about is in COVID, we had to jump into this new thing where now parents are present in sessions where you, you know, before telepractice is primarily in a school or into a clinic or into a location And now so many of it is we're into people's homes and helping um, establish one, who is the team working with that child? So if it's an SLP and an SLPA, making sure that, you know, the first session, both people are present and that they can introduce themselves and talk about, you know, the expectations, what does therapy look like? um, So that parents also understand, because we have to remember parents in the school system don't often see what therapy looks like. They, they've heard a little bit during an IEP meeting, but they don't really know what that therapy looks like. And in some clinics, depending on if it's a clinic where, you know, they kind of pass their child to a clinician who walks back, or do they have a way to look through a two-way mirror to see their child, they don't often know what it is we're doing. And now they're getting a really good eye into what does therapy look like. So it's a great opportunity for us as supervisors to help model, how do we talk with parents? How do we show them what we're doing? How do we explain what therapy looks like? Because sometimes therapy, we all know, looks like play, looks like things that sometimes parents are like, what are you doing? What does that mean? Or we're celebrating some tiny great thing that a kid did because we need to celebrate celebrate that baby step. But a parent doesn't always understand why are we celebrating that tiny baby step? Um, So helping to make sure at the very beginning that parent knows who are the people coming in so that then throughout the rest of the time, it's okay when somebody jump that person jumps in because, you know, as a parent, you don't ever want somebody just showing up in a session where, okay, who's this other person in the black screen here. Um, So making sure that that was set up at the beginning, I talked to a lot of people about that and getting started with teletherapy for this semester is just, making sure they know if you have a grad student with you, make sure they've seen that face. They know who that person is. If you have an SLPA with you, make sure they know who that person is. If you have a clinical fellow and you have a supervisor, again, making sure the parent understands that relationship so that they're not feeling awkward with somebody else seeing into that, you know, session. And then just making sure that we all, um, you know, keep moving and we know, you know, like you say, those breakout rooms, using the private chat. There's a lot of cool little pieces of technology that we can use to then kind of enhance that conversation and do um, that support for that individual, but making sure that we're all kind of on the same page. So Amy, you've shared such great information with us today. 
Do you have any words of wisdom for those individuals that are starting telepractice? Maybe they are now because of COVID just, you know, sort of launching their telepractice careers or having to jump over uh, very quickly here. What words of advice or go-to materials would you recommend? Definitely stay calm, (laughs) stay positive, um, because you also have to remember that in this virtual mode, parents see your face, they see your nonverbals, and it's harder to kind of hide, you know, and the students see you because you're looking face to face. It's not like we're all sitting around in a circle. And sometimes, you know, as a teacher or as the therapist or as the parent, somebody might not see all of your facial expressions, but here they see it. So staying positive, staying calm, Um, in just doing whatever services, whether it's supervision or, um, you know, teletherapy, staying calm, staying positive, trying to make sure that, you know, you're exaggerating that you're, that you're engaged, because if you look like you're having fun, then hopefully your clients are also having fun. And they're not sitting there going, why, why is everything quiet right now? (laughs) What, what is she doing? Or what is he doing? Um, And then with that, as far as materials, uh, you know, like I said, there are so many great things out there. I strongly recommend that you jump on the newsletter bandwagon for a short period of time because there are so many places, um, you know, the SLP Now, the SLP Therapy Plans, the TLC Talk Shop. um, There's so many of them that if you sign up for their monthly newsletter, they're often giving like free things whenever their newsletter comes out or they give big discounts on certain things. So signing up for those newsletters and even if, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's so much, you can always get off of them later. Um, So that is a great resource that many people have um, used using the virtual classroom resources. There's a great Facebook group out there for the virtual classrooms that they share so many things that people have created that have been free and that you can, you know, save and make a copy Um, and again, it just makes your therapy a little bit more engaging. Uh, and then the same with like teachers pay teachers, a lot of free or very inexpensive things that are already created for therapy. And many of them were done before COVID because, you know, like I said, a lot of us have done or had a part of telepractice for years. So it's not new. So looking to those resources of people who have, have done teletherapy and, you know, sharing that, but a lot of great things out there that you can access for free. You don't need to, you don't need to purchase a lot of stuff. You don't need to reinvent the wheel and, you know, just think about your own materials and what can you do to still use them? So do I need to take a picture of it and then put it into a Google slide or put it onto a PowerPoint or, you know, can I scan it and make it a PDF? What, whatever you can do to still use the great things that you already had use them. Um, And then, you know, there's also a lot of resources through districts where, um, you know, like New ZLA, ReadWorks, there's a lot of great tools that school districts have that have reading comprehension and other pieces in it that you can kind of use as an SLP, which then helps you collaborate more with those special education and general education teachers out there because you're using the same curriculum materials. Well, I think that's Great advice all around for for get people getting started and then people who've actually been doing it a while. You get some great uh, uh, great pieces of information there in terms of uh, just different websites and things that maybe they had not heard of or 
hadn't been, didn't know about. So thank you for being with us today. We really appreciate your time and uh, just best of luck to everything that you're with you and everything you're doing in Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure and I appreciate you asking me on. And then if anybody has any questions, definitely I can share my email um, with you so that uh, if you have a question, I can give you some guidance, um, send you some information. So you're welcome to email me. My email is amy, A-M-Y, Hill, H-I-L-L, 1227, so Hill 1227 at gmail.com. So I'm more than happy to share resources, give you thoughts on where you can go. Um, like I said, I've done a lot of trainings and um, talked to a lot of pe- people about getting started with telepractice. So I already have quick things I can send if there's something that you need. So, but thank you again for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank uh, you. Well, that was Amy Hill joining us uh, from our archives, actually, uh, going back to episode 16 a while back. So thank you, Amy, for doing that originally. And thank you for your patience with us. Uh, We occasionally have something that comes up with uh, our guests at the time of recording these episodes, and it just can't be helped. So I hope you enjoyed hearing from Amy again, and I certainly enjoyed having you with us uh, for this episode. Please, if you don't mind, rate, review, subscribe, follow, or share this episode and podcast. We want to get as many listeners to this as possible. So thank you for doing any of those things. And with that, we'll see you again next week with another episode, a new episode. And until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.